Anything else this morning? Okay. I hope if you're watching, it's not a, it hadn't turned into a Japanese movie. I'm trusting that everything is, is working, that the audio and video is in sync like it should be. I always try to keep reminding myself that if it is out of sync, it's supposed to be out of sync. It didn't happen by accident. It's happened on purpose. Turn with me now back, or let's look at our text this morning here in Romans chapter 8. We're going to look today, we looked a couple of Sundays ago at Romans 8, 28. Today we're going to look at Romans 8, 29, and 30. Yeah, I, I, I've been preaching the gospel now for almost 37 years. I have had in my possession a plethora, it's a big word for country boy, I've had in my possession a plethora of commentaries and have run across a... Uh, a lot of information in the years as men and even women in my day have sought to, to explain and apply Romans chapter 8. But most of them are totally without understanding when it comes to what the apostle is seeking to set forth here in this wonderful passage of scripture that we're going to look at this morning. And as I thought about this this week and was beginning to write down and make a few notes and then begin to form this firm, this message that I'm going to preach to you today and thinking about the promise that we talked about two weeks ago and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. This question popped into my mind. How can we have confidence Think about this. How can we have confidence that all things work together for good when to our human mind, for the most part, it all appears to be chaos? Think about that. Paul told these Roman, same Roman believers here, because, I mean, well, think about it like this. All things work together for good, because i got to go back and tell you what I told you Two weeks ago. That, that word good, all things work together for good, it means that which is truly a gift. All things work together for good, that which is truly a gift. And Paul used that same word in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin, death. The gift. Same word, the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's the thing that we're dealing with. We know that all things work together for that which is truly a gift. What's truly a gift? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what's working together for good. Now, see, what most people do, and I shared this with you a couple of weeks ago, most, most people confuse, and they always apply this thing, well, all things work together for good. And they try to apply this all things working together to good to, to the things of time and sense, you know, everything that goes on down here. You know, we, and I know, and listen, I know God's absolutely sovereign. You hear me? I believe that with all my heart, mind, and soul. I, I believe there is not a single solitary particle it is out from underneath the control and direction of our sovereign, omnipotent, eternal God. Everything. 
That being the case, I know that everything that comes to pass in this world, you know what? None of it happens by accident. There's no possibility that, like these climate alarmists think, that we can destroy ourselves. This thing is going to be here till God's done with it. We're not going to destroy ourselves by nuclear holocaust, unless it be the Lord's will for him to destroy part of it. But this thing's going to stand. He's told us in his word that there'll be seed time and harvest, and there'll be four seasons as long as this thing spins. And when he gets done with it, it's done. But that's not what he's talking about in this passage. All things work together for good to them that love God. You think about this, Noah. I, I, and I, this just amazed me. Noah, when he went into that ark and God sealed him and his family inside of that ark, he endured the terrors that surrounded everything in that event. He heard every thunderclap. He heard the water falling. He felt the boat rising. He believed his God. He felt the rocks of the boat as it began to lift up and begin to float. And he was out there 360 days in a boat with no steering wheel, no rudder, totally under the direction of this God who sealed him and his family in that ark. So even though he felt it all, you know what? All things work together for good to him that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Same can be said for Abraham. Same can be said for Isaac. Didn't seem like it was working out for good when his daddy strapped him down on that altar, did it? Same can be said for Jacob. And listen, the one I always think about is Joseph. But it's true for who else, too? Every object of his love. I, I can't help but think about that thief on the cross. <laughs> outwardly to the eye of the flesh and to his own mindset hanging with our Lord in the middle and he and one of his compadres on the right and the left of our Lord Jesus Christ strapped there waiting to die concerning the things of time and sense it didn't look like all things were working together for good did they? but you think about this that gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, that hung beside of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'd say all things did work together for good to him. Did they not? And this is what's so amazing to me. You know, if you study this book anytime, you know, the children of God, those loved to God, we have, and I cannot, I know some people seem to think that you can, we have absolutely no promise from our God anywhere in this book, nowhere in this book, that we'll always be wealthy, that we'll always be healthy, and that we'll always be liked by everybody. You can't find that in here. I'll tell you what you can find. What can you find? For the most part, the exact opposite is what we'll get. Our Lord made it very clear. He said to his apostles and to you and me who believed on him through their word, 
in the world. And in the world is what? Not just this planet. He's talking about in time. Everybody in time, in the world, my children, what are they going to have? Tribulation. Why? We're not at home. Huh? Pam can tell you that. I'm, I'm the worst person in the world about going away from home. The only two times I've enjoyed myself away from home were when she and I was in Hawaii and when we were in Ireland. But even I tried to get out of that Ireland trip. I tried my best to get out of that because I'm, I'm happiest when I'm pulling back in the driveway because I want to be home. That's, that's where I stay at, over there on 900 Witchwood Drive. And we're not, we, we cannot allow ourselves to be so complacent and so content with the things of time and sense because he's not ever promised us that things are going to be fine in this world. Keep this in your mind as we walk through this world. I, this is a, to me, the older I get, I mean, I'm 65 now, it just, it seems to get worse with each passing year. This place is a, it, this is a present evil world. I don't know about you. All I can do is turn on the news and watch. That's why I don't watch the news anymore, Kenny. Everything's bad. You can't find anything good in this place. Everything, and the I, depravity is, is on view at every turn in this world in which we live. But here's the thing. The kingdom of God, which we're part of, you do realize that, right? We're not waiting to get in a kingdom. We're in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. And by meat and drink, what does he mean there? It's not fleshly. It's not material. It's not something that you can handle. What is the kingdom of God? It's righteousness. You got that? You better. And if you got righteousness, what have you got? You got peace. And what else? The only place we can re- joy in the Holy Spirit. Not joy in the things of time and sense. I did, you put your joy in the things of this world, I guarantee you, you're going to be disappointed. You put, your, you put your joy in your spouse. You got a big disappointment coming one day for one of you. Because one of you is going to be left alone. That's just true. Everything in time and sense lets us down. Everything. Everything. But here's the thing. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. (laughs) Why can't it be moved? You can move the United States. Huh? You think Rome didn't think they were ever going to pass into history? They passed. And I tell you, this, this thing that we're living in called the United States of America, it can pass too. What you going to do if it passes? I tell you what you're going to do if, as a justified saint, we receive in a kingdom which cannot be made. You take this thing from us. Destroy it all. What have you got? We got that kingdom that can't be challenged, that can't be moved, whereby let us have grace whereby we might serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. As far as everything that is truly working together for the eternal good of God's children, Paul says this, for we know, we're confident. 
How can he have that kind of confidence? How can we have that kind of confidence? Only one way. Here it is. The call according to his purpose. Everything that works together for that which is truly a gift, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, falls out for each and every one of God's elect according to his sovereign grace and purpose. You think about how important it was for that thief on that cross to be hung there by our Lord Jesus Christ. But there was two. Think how important it was for God the Holy Spirit to teach one of those sinners who that glorious person was, the Lord Jesus Christ. How do they work together? Good. Here, here's, how, here's how they do. For whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, whom he called. Whom he called, then he justified. And whom he justified, then he also glorified. And I, I'm not going to get to this. But you can't help but think about what he said next. What shall we say then to these things if God be for us? That's what I want. Don't you? I want God to be for me. Because if God be for us, who? Who can be against us? I thank God that his purpose is not left up to sinful man. Aren't you? Not left up to our so-called free will, which that's a myth anyhow. So that's, that's the abominable snowman of the, of the Scriptures. While the words of these two verses perplex and strike fear in the hearts of religious people, so much so that they either avoid them or ignore them, or twist them to those born of God. You know what we see in these words in verses 29 and 30? We see an unbreakable chain of God's sovereign will and purpose as he works all things together for good for his people, for the salvation of his elect. And I'd point out this to you right at the beginning. Every one of these things that he does, now you, you can't find yourself in here anywhere. This is everything God does to save his people from his sin, their sins. Every one of them are spoken of in the past tense. Every one of them. He did. Past, he did not he does. He did foreknow. He also did predestinate. He also just not justifying, just declared righteous. He also glorified. Well, let's look at all five of them real quick. This one. First one is this. For whom he did foreknow. Boy, I tell you, I can remember when I was a five-point Calvinist lost as the people I was talking with, wrestling to death with folks over this without any conscious knowledge of what's actually being taught here. If you'll notice here, it says for whom. It doesn't say for what he did foreknow. That's the mistake they make. They say what, is, what he foreknew. Now, it says it's individuals. Somebody. And that, didn't our Lord say, I know my sheep. Right? 
Now, I know that those who are unregenerate, they wrestle words like these to their own destruction. Most of them, they look at this passage, they look at this word foreknow, and you know what they think it means? They think that they think of that telescope thing going on. They think that God was sitting back out there in eternity and he looked down through time and saw what men and women would do, saw whether they would believe or would, or would not believe, and then based on his foreknowledge of their actions, then what did he do? He set his purpose accordingly. I, th there is so much wrong with that that I don't have enough time to tell you about all of it. But I'll give you two verses that destroys that whole whole ideology. Here's the first one. This is the word of promise. At that time, at, at, at this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, now listen to this, neither having done any good or any evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I, past tense, loved, and Esau, before they'd done, let's keep that in mind, before they'd done any good or any evil, Esau have I hated. I've had some fools tell me, well, that's talking about Jews versus Gentile. Well, you just made it even worse. Huh? We're talking about nations. God loved just the nation of Israel and every other nation he hates. And that, there, there you go. But here's the second one. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained, that's predetermined, foreordained, as many as were ordained to eternal life. What were they ordained to? To eternal life, what did they do? They believed. Every one of them. See, here's the thing. If the word foreknow doesn't mean that God looked down through time, and saw what men would do and then establish his will and purpose based on that gained knowledge because that's what would be what he'd be doing. He'd be looking down there and learning something. Our God doesn't learn anything. If it doesn't mean that, what does it mean? Well, let me make it as simple as I can. The Greek word that's translated foreknow here, it's a combination of two words. The first word means before. For, I mean, everybody knows that, before. The second part of that Greek word means to know or to be acquainted with. You look it up for yourself in, in Greek strong concordance, it's number 1096, and it's genoski, I think is the way you pronounce it. I don't know. But here's the thing. You've heard me say this before. I'll say it again. It is a Jewish idiom that references an intimate relationship between a man and a woman that results in a child. Adam knew, there's the word, Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore him a son. Didn't mean when he knew her, he said there. What did he do? He loved her, right? The most intimate relationship between a husband 
and a wife. So what's it talking about here? It's talking about means to love. For whom he did four loves, the, the word. That's what it means. And see, he declared dogmatically for whom he did before love. Isn't that amazing? Before we had done any good or evil, God loved us. Where? In Christ our son, his son. Jeremiah put it like this. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, since I've loved thee with an everlasting love, with loving kindness, what have I done? You've came to me. No, I drew you. I drew you. Think back to that passage in Romans 9. Jacob, have I loved? Have we done any good or evil? Esau, have I hated? Have we done any good or evil? You say, that's not fair. Listen, God's got an answer for you. Shall the thing form, you hear how he talks about you and me? Shall the thing form say to him that formed it, why have you made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel to honor and the other to dishonor? It's his choice. I still don't think it's fair. Take that up with Almighty God and see how well your argument works out. Listen to Christ's description of this eternal love. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me. Why did he send Christ into this world? He loved his people. It required his coming. It required his death. It required his satisfaction. It required his resurrection, Bart. All of it. You've sent me. And listen, has, and you have loved them. Listen to this. You've loved them as you love me. Father, I, and he's going to describe for us where, how, how this love is. Father, I will that they also whom you've given me, that they be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me. Remember he said that you would love, show them that you love them like you love me. Give me that glory that I had with you before which you've given me, for thou lovest me, how? Before the foundation of the world. He loved him, and he says, reveals them that you've loved them like you've loved me. Folks, this forelove of God to his people has its foundation in Christ's work as our surety and substitute. Herein's love, John wrote, 1 John Chapter 4, verse 10, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son, the propitiation for our sins. I think because of this eternal love of his elect, those chosen in Christ, God sent his son into the world to satisfy and reconcile them to himself for whom he did foreknow. Here's the second one. He also did predestinate. I always hear Bill, he's told it so many times, talking with some guy, and he said, well, I don't believe in predestination. Bill asked him, do you believe the Bible? He said, oh, yeah, I believe the Bible. He said, well, then you don't believe the Bible. Bill told him. He said, why? He said, predestinate's in the Bible. Well, here it is. He also did predestinate. In what sense? What did he predestinate us to? To be conformed 
to the image of his son that he, Christ, might be the firstborn among many brethren. That Greek word translated predestinate, it means to foreordain, to predetermine, or appoint beforehand. Boy, the natural man hates that, doesn't he? Uh Uh-huh. But here's the thing. Foreknowledge, forelove, and predestination, he distinguishes between the two. They're two separate things. The, the one, foreknowledge, what has it got to do? Forelove, it has to do with individuals for whom he did foreknow. While the other word, predestination, has to do with what? The destination or the end of those people whom he foreloved, those people whom he chose. And this word, this word predestinate, these words tell us dogmatically that all those God foreknew, meaning those that he loved before time, he's determined, what's he determined for you and me? That we be conformed to the image of his son. I tell you, when I was in reformed religion, I used to beat myself to death and used to beat everybody else up with that little one phrase, conformed to the image of his son. What did you think it was before the Lord taught you the gospel to be conformed to the image of his son? Huh? Go to church every time the doors is open. I read the book. I give a tithe. I try to be kind. I try to be compassionate. I try to love like Christ loves. I try to be understanding like Christ was always understanding. Folks, you can't do that. It's impossible. You, you can't be conformed to the image of his son in your character. I know this much. This thing that we live in, this, this flesh, it is so bad that our Lord said what? Flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It's so bad that, listen, he's not going to patch it up. What's he going to do? He's going to make it something he wasn't before. Going to make it how? Like his glory. Think with me now. Put your thinking caps on. This, this word conform means having the same form as another. Now keep that in mind. Not trying to have an image of the other. Having the same form as another. All those God foreloved will ultimately be what? They'll be just like Christ. Doesn't mean we're going to be little gods or little Jesuses. We'll be like him. Seeing what are we right now? We're adopted sons and daughters of God. John, Paul put it like this. It has everything to do with with what all God's elect's children will become when Christ returns. Listen to this. Who shall change our Vile bodies. What kind of body? Well, we can work. I mean, I've walked walked through six pairs of tennis shoes over the last three years. We try like we want to do whatever we can with this old frame that we live in. It's dying. They're going to put every one of us in a box one day, unless our Lord returns. Everybody's sitting here. And we're all going to mourn. We hope we don't grieve as those who have no hope. But this thing's coming to me. And he said he's going to change our vile body. And listen, make it like unto his glorious body. A 
according to the working whereby he is able to subdue. See, that's why flesh and blood can't enter the kingdom of heaven. It can't be subdued, right? The carnal mind is enmity against God, even mine. Not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Listen to the apostle John. He said, behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called sons of God. Why, we're here. We're called his sons. Therefore, the world knows us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God right now. I'm a son of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Folks, it's God's will and God's purpose, and he has predestinated that end, that every object of his love will be made like his glorious, beloved, holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinner's son. Here's a third one. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, what did he do? Them he also called. I told you for 36 years. Always think about Bart and Sally and Buddy because they've been here and my wife, they've been here the longest. I've always told you words matter when it comes to the scriptures. And when you think about this thing, Paul used the same word in verse 20, or used the word called in verse 28, right? We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That word Used in verse 28, called, it means divinely selected or appointed. That's what I told you two weeks ago. And the meaning hadn't changed in two weeks. But he uses a different word here. Now, it's translated the same English word. It's called again. But it's got a completely different meaning. You know what the word called here means? For whom he did predestinate, then he also called. It means to call with a loud voice. Call with a loud voice. Here it is. Our Lord said to whom, him, Christ, the shepherd, the door, the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he, here's the word, he calleth his own sheep by name and leads them out. By this call, Calling, Paul's talking about a whole lot more than just the external call of the gospel message that I'm preaching to you this morning. There's a lot of people have heard the external call of the gospel. There's a lot of people that have picked up and at least given mental agreement to a lot of doctrines contained in this book. But what Paul's talking about here, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about the effectual call of God the Holy Spirit by which he through the preaching of the gospel, through the power of his Holy Spirit, what does he do? He regenerates and converts his people, calling them by name to himself, causing them to call upon the name of the Lord. Listen to Paul's words to Timothy, who hath saved us and called us with a loud voice, with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. And here it is again, which was given us in Christ Jesus when? Before the world began. Here's the fourth one. And whom he called, then he also justified. All those whom God the Father loved before time, 
They were chosen in Christ. All those whom he preordained or predetermined for them to be made like unto his son. All those he calls in time by his gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, them he also does what? That word justified means what? Declared righteous. It's a, it's a forensic term. Been saying that for a bunch of years, been reminding a lot of people. Every time you see the word just, righteous, holy, just about without exception, you know what it always means? To declare righteous. It's a forensic term. It's not something that's, that we feel, something that we experience. It's the work of God. I did, Job, Job asked the most important question anybody could ever ask. Then Job answered and said, I know it is a so of a truth. But how should man be just with God? And that word just that he used there, it means righteous. How can man be declared righteous with God? Think about that. That's the, that's the question of the ages. It's not whether you've accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. It's how can, how can you, a sinner, by birth, by nature, by practice, and by choice, how can God declare you righteous? And what, what, what have you ever done? If you think you've done something, what have you ever done that would require this holy God who will by no means clear the guilty to look at you and declare you righteous? And not just righteous, as righteous as him. Because nothing's going in that's not equal to him. I'm telling you. According to God's purpose, he foreloved, predestinated, called every object of his love by his gospel to justification. To be declared righteous, be declared the righteousness of God through and by the work of His glorious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, His very obedience unto death. Be it known, Paul said unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. What's preached to you this morning? The forgiveness of sin. That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. And all believing, are justified by this man, declared righteous by this person's work from all things which you could not be declared righteous by the law of Moses. Folks, this declaration of righteous on the guilty sinner is not conditioned on my faith. It's not conditioned on my repentance. It's not conditioned on my perseverance. It's not conditioned on... Anything other than what God's faithfulness to himself is both a just God and a Savior. Listen to Paul again. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Listen to me clearly. All those God foreloved, predestinated and called, will in time be called to justification and eternal life, evidenced by their calling on and resting in Christ Jesus as who? The Lord our righteousness. Surely shall one say, Isaiah said, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. But here's the fifth one. In whom he justified, then he also glorified. I tell you, I don't know about you, I don't feel very glorified, do you? <laughs> that Greek word glorified means to impart glory to something. 
here's the better translation. To render it excellent. Really? It's like every one of these other works that's done by God. God speaks of this work of glorification. How does he speak of it? It's something that's completed. Even though I'm still living in a body of semen, body of flesh, God says as far... Go read Ephesians 2. Where are you at right now? I'm in Ruston, Louisiana at Grace Baptist Church. I'm watching Grace Baptist Church on the internet. Yeah, you are. Physical. Where are you at? He's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places where? In our surety. The Lord Jesus Christ. How, how can, can God speak so definitely concerning the glorification of his own elect? Because his purpose to do so rests on one thing only. His redemptive work found in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You think about this. Every one of these acts that we've pointed out, every one of them, all of them point to Christ. All of them. They point to his blood. They point to his righteousness. They point to his obedience unto death. And as Christ was raised from the dead, all those whom he represented as a surety and substitute and redeemer, they'll be glorified just like our Lord Jesus Christ was. He said to his Father, this is in his high priestly prayer, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. He prayed that. Christ did. Do you think there's any possibility we won't be there? That we won't be made like unto his glorious body. See, what Paul's talking about here, he's talking about eternal glory, that to which all God's elect are predestinated and called, in which their justification gives us right and title to it. I'm not waiting to get out there and listen to St. Peter tell me whether or not I'm getting in. And we're entitled to it. Why? We're adopted into the family. Folks, we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. He has made us sinners. He's made us kings and priests. Able to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'll tell you, this eternal glory, it will consist in a likeness to Christ. This glorification. Communion with him. Thank God, an everlasting vision of it. We're going to follow the Lamb with us wherever He goes, forever and ever and ever. Freedom from everything that's evil. He's going to wipe every tear from every eye, and we're not going to remember any of it. And the enjoyment of all that's good. Folks, that's God's purpose in salvation, all of it. And you know what it does? It gives me and you as God's children comfort and encouragement in light of all our friends and all our family members and all our foes who are still right now, you know, at presently, I don't know, but right now I know from, from the way they reject this God, they're without God in this world. They're still enemies in their minds by wicked work. But here's the thing I can take comfort in. If they are part of this election of grace, chosen by God, foreloved by God, predestinated by God, justified by God, and promised to be glorified by God, in time, in time, before they close their eyes in death. Listen, there was one thief on the cross, was there not? But there was one. So that lets me have hope, what? As long as people that I love and care for in this life are above ground breathing, 
There's always hope if they're one of God's. I tell you, I, I told Pam, I, I told several people this week, it has amazed me that in the twilight of my ministry, because I, I consider this to the end of it and what I'm in now, the next 10 or 12, 20 years, whatever I've got left, Pam said, please, not me. But it amazed me. I don't, you know, I, I don't see many young people being brought to true faith and true repentance. But I tell you what I have been seeing a lot of, and it has amazed me. I've seen a lot of people in their 60s and 70s and 80s at the end of the road. People that's heard us or heard Bill or heard others. You, I tell you, you'd be amazed how many people that are out there that are way above our age that at the end of their lives, when you think, they're, they're gone. At the end of their lives, God showed himself merciful to them. And I tell you what, they will, they, they will one day, probably unless something happens with us and the Lord takes us home quicker, they will one day be with those just men made perfect. And it won't be by, and they'll tell you real quick, doesn't have anything to do with what I did. Had everything to do with what he did for me through his dear son. Let's stand together and we dismiss. I appreciate your presence. Lord bless you and keep you until we see you next Lord's Day. Ray, if you would, dismiss us, please.